Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I am Nico Lapalusa, your host. And today is a special, a more special episode because uh, we're on TikTok Live. We're on a little bit of a TikTok Live, and questions are starting to come in. We have people joining for the show, and it's pretty uh, energizing to have like a live stream while I'm doing a podcast. You know, there's a little extra pressure, and um, you know, not having any format or any particular plan with these podcasts. It's all improvisation, mostly. You know, I think about stuff throughout the week. I think about stuff throughout the day. But it's cool to um, have questions come in and to go off the cuff a little bit and just to see what happens, you know. I always set the intention. I set an intention before each show. It's It's roughly the same one. It's you know, how do I give value? You know, it's and and not in like a parenty like a parenty kind of way where I'm telling people what to do, but giving value by sharing my own personal experience and uh hopefully people and trusting, you know, that people can extract something valuable that they can put into their own life that they can use, maybe learn from my mistakes, if you will, some for, for some failures. Um, so a few questions came in. I'll try to answer them as much as possible. And, um, one question was on books and one question was on procrastination and, uh, an easy one for the beginning. Here we go. Are you cool? Um, you know, cool was like a, like a North star for me for a while. You know, being cool was kind of, you know, I tried. I, It's not cool to say you're cool, right? That's kind of like oxymoronic, but I did fucking try. I try, I've been, I've been trying for a hard, a long time to uh, have an error, an air of coolness. Um, And you, here's something I've noticed. I noticed that people, how they compliment is oftentimes like what they're trying to seek in a particular way you know what you get is kind of what you what you give and how people compliment the adjectives they use is kind of like a nice little indicator as to what people are seeking in a way this isn't perfect but it's just kind of like something i've noticed and what i used to say is oh that's cool oh that's like just in conversations oh yeah that's that's cool so i think if i was being honest with myself i have been trying to be cool for a while. I have put it on a pedestal, whatever that means. Um, but I don't think I'm particularly cool. Not in a special way, at least. If by cool you mean not particularly reactive when people throw shade my way, um, I can be cool under pressured situations at times, but I can also be fiery. So maybe that answers your question. As far as books, and I just see another question come in, how do you motivate someone who is clinically depressed? Well, I'll get to that one maybe. You know, I'm, I do have to say I'm not a, a therapist. I have dealt with depression myself. And I have been diagnosed uh, with depression and uh, medicated as such. And maybe we talk about that. Some books that I'd recommend that are coming right off the uh, off the dome is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I think is a good one. It's about a a guy who 
who was a therapist and he he was he's a Jew he was a Jewish guy in Germany got put in concentration camps and he talks about how cultivating a sense of purpose even in this desolate terrible environment as being in Auschwitz how that actually helped him to survive it's a really powerful great book uh, not too long of a read spiritual enough right you ask for spiritual books Spirit can be everything. Um, and then another book, which is like overtly spiritual, like a little wooey, is Eckhart Tolle's uh, A New Earth. And it, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of good because um, it brings awareness around what's known as the ego. So as far as like cultivating that awareness in yourself and what motivates you socially and, you know, and, and then some. So uh, someone's going, so going into a little bit of my story with depression, I suppose. Um, now, look, I life is weird, particularly from like that pubert, post-puberty to, I don't know. It's still kind of weird, but there's just like a, really a finding who you are and cultivating like a sense of self. And it does get a little bit easier to know what you want, to know what you're about as you kind of move into at least the 30s. This has been my my case. And there's a lot of trial and error in the, tw- in the teens and 20s. Um. And I think the result of this is a sense of depression. Without purpose, without a direction, without truly knowing who you are, life can seem very tough, you know, very tough. And then someone lets you down the first time you go through your first breakup and the spiral downward can start to happen. And when you spiral downward, you need a you do need a pattern interrupt sometimes to start the momentum going back up. So I so I was going through a tough time, not really knowing myself, not knowing what I was about, overextending myself for people that just didn't care about me, that didn't really want to, you know, that didn't have the time or space for me. And I would chase people who really didn't, who showed indifference to me quite a bit. And that, that was, that's a mistake, right? That's, that's a lack of self-awareness that I had to learn how to cultivate. And um, I was prescribed things. I was actually prescribed Adderall. Um, when I told my, I told to a psychiatrist that I had trouble sleeping and that I had sent, like symptoms of depression. They prescribed me Adderall, which just seemed really weird. But I was like pumped about it at the time because I'm like, oh, I'm going to do way better at school. And uh, I suppose it helped. I think if I really took the time to learn how to learn and learn how to be a student and actually showed up for class... <laughs> I would I wouldn't necessarily have to rely on on the drug and Adderall did take quite a bit for me. I make a joke, I don't know if this is true. I'm not a doctor, but it's like I have gray hair at the age of 30, 31 and I say it was because of being on Adderall, you know, as a young man for some time. 
seems like, I don't know, it's meth, you know? Just seemed like a, a tough, tough prescription to take, but, you know, I'm not a victim here. I definitely enjoyed Adderall. I abused it. I like uppers. I've liked uppers before and, uh, and I relied on it a lot, but I relied on it to a point where it really took a lot from me. And I think coming off of it led to a really dark time in my life. And although medication can be good for people in the right circumstance, um, I'm really glad I overcame. I found other tools to get myself off of Adderall. And, and I still use things medicinally. I use things. Um, I am reading some of these comments, guys, and uh, I will answer any questions. And I appreciate anyone who's interacting. Um, so thank you. Um, and I still use medicines uh, ceremoniously, but it's not a daily thing like it was for Adderall. I remember back when I was prescribed uh, these uppers, you know, I would rely on them so heavily that I would wake up. And if I had the smallest task to do, the smallest task to do, think of the smallest task to do. If I had to go to the bank to whatever, deposit a check, if I had to make one phone call throughout the day, that would be enough justification for me to take like a 25 milligram extended release Adderall. And that's a big, you know, that's what they started me out at. And that's like a, a day long high for those who, who have never been on it. And, um, what's up? Hey, what's up mate from, uh, Perth. It's dangerously easy to abuse thought patterns. It's interesting. Okay. So I, I would really abuse it and I would, you know, take shit. I would take Adderall to party. Adderall, I would, I'd crush it up and snort it to party. It's like, ugh. I don't have that much shame over it anymore. But, you know, at the time, it really just took a lot from me and didn't give me hardly any. Um, yeah, it was, it was. It was much, and I'm really glad that I found ways to get off of it. Some of some of the ways I got off of it were by making the decision to do so after college. I, um, yeah, this isn't a land. This is okay. So I guess we're going off tangent a little bit, but my friend made this from me. He's like, um, he's in like the Lakota tribe, and they do this bead work, and uh, he made this for me as a gift. I'm, he put a keychain on it, so it's kind of a lanyard, but I wear it as a as a as a chain it's my chain but to get over the reliance or the dependency on Adderall after college I made the decision during college because I started to feel just like really shitty about taking it I would get irritable very irritable I lost a bunch of weight the, the tip you know typical things that you would that you hear from taking something like meth you know I kind of was experiencing from Adderall and I wasn't very happy taking it. So I made the decision that after college I was going to, I was going to stop. 
And I did. I actually did. And part of the ways that I got over that was learning how to cultivate focus without the drug. Like, focus is a key ingredient. Any meditation or any spiritual path you take, if you, if you start showing up to, to shit and, and, like, listening to what they're saying, reading the books, there will be an element of focus built into any meditation practice. And there's tricks that people use to to build this focus, um, like mantras or dristi, where you keep your gaze locked into a certain place. And and those are great. That's a great way to cultivate this focus or the single pointedness of of attention. Learning how to dictate where your attention goes is a very powerful tool. And and you'll need it even for like hunting or playing sports or. Um, love you too. Thank you. Um, I shouldn't do that. That's a lack of focus. <laughs> I'm just see with this TikTok live thing. I'm kind of like bouncing back and forth, but thank you. I love you as well, but about focus. So a particular meditation technique that I have studied, if you will, or I've just committed to showing up for is called Vipassana. It's kind of an extreme one. You go 10 days of silence. It's a 10-day silent retreat and you're, you meditate four times a day for at least an hour and you don't talk to anyone throughout the whole time. You don't have anything to journal. You have no books to read. You can't listen to music. It's truly silence. It's truly being with yourself and being with yourself but also kind of studying this meditation technique. Now, every night you are, there is a lecture portion. So you do hear, uh, you do get to hear some sort of content. Um, and the content is around the, the meditation technique. And it's a really powerful program. I mean, there's some things I don't like about it. There's some doctrine, like there's a little bit of like, it's Buddhist based. So there's like a little bit of, there's Buddhist bias. I don't know if you can avoid bias altogether. I think Wim Hof does a pretty good job avoiding bias, but he's even science biased if, if you want to get nitty gritty. But this meditation technique, Vipassana, talks about samadhi, being, um, being, uh, I saw something about, um, I might answer that later. But you, you folk, you cultivate samadhi in this, uh, meditation technique it's the foundation of the of the technique and it stands for focus and you do that by spending an hour keeping your consciousness at the space above your upper lip and below your nostrils and you do this for an hour hour increments and every time you wander which you certainly will or i certainly did you just bring your, your attention back to this portion this small portion and you bring and you just feel the sensation above your upper lip and below your nostrils. And you're sitting there and your mind wanders and then you come back and you bring and you do this over and over again. And it's kind of frustrating. But you do notice that focus is like a muscle. You can cultivate it. Um, this isn't a mantra. This is 
what's called Vipassana meditation, which is like a school of meditation. And I'm not, it's not for everyone. I mean, people see it as extreme. It's a silent meditation retreat for 10 days. That's, that means something to some people. Now that I've gone through it a couple times, it's not so arduous. Um, before I move on, someone asked me if I found, yeah, Vipassana. Vipassana. And someone asked me if I found the girl version of Bugs Bunny attractive. And yeah, in Space Jam, what was her name? She was super fine. Top five cartoons that I would like to, I don't know, what am I going to say about a cartoon? I can't be that vulgar. Lola. Yeah, Lola Bunny. She was super fine. And in that movie, she... <laughs> um, they kind of. I wonder. Do anyone? Do any of you guys have like cartoon fetishes? Who watches the cartoon porn? It seems to be big, but so I wonder. I wonder who watches cartoon porn and who's that's that's for. I'm sure there's a large audience because it seems to be all over the place. But I digress. So this vipassana tech, this uh, meditation technique, has three parts. One of its samadhi, one of its focus. Thank you for subscribing. And the other two are good actions and good deeds. And they list out what good action is. It's basically like don't murder, don't steal, Ten Commandment type stuff. You know, it's not that crazy to think about. Um, but good action also means good thoughts and speaking well too and saying good things. That's part of good action. And the third one is called meta, which is universal love. And if you do all of these things, if you practice all these things, you achieve enlightenment like the Buddha, like Buddhas do according to Vipassana meditation. That's what the method's called. So look into that, but there's tons of meditation techniques out there. And I really think any path can lead you towards this sense of inner peace, can lead you towards, you know, really whatever you're looking for. I'm not going to even put a limit on if you're trying to cultivate, you know, money. There seems to be evidence to suggest that you can, that a certain meditation practices can contribute to your prosperity and wealth and how you attract things. So that's that. Did anyone answer the question about, does anyone have a fetish with cartoon porn? No one wants to say. I don't, I guess I don't blame you. Thank you for the compliment about the hair. Um, the, okay, can I recommend a book about Buddhism or meditation? The Tao Te Ching is a pretty poppin' book. It's a collection of 81 poems. And uh, the poems are written for leaders, um, but everyone's a leader of their own life. And uh, there's lots to extract out of it. It's kind of vague, right? Because they're poems. So I read these poems like every day I read a couple and they always seem new. So Pima Chodron writes pretty decent books about meditation. Taking the Leap is one I read. And it helped me at that t- at, at a time. So this Vipassana meditation, I don't know. I've returned to it a lot of times because 
it's pretty simple too. Um, I mentioned there's some evidence regarding manifesting things through meditation. What evidence? Okay. And advice on allowing yourself redemption. That's a good question. And I'll try to answer both of them soon. So the evidence I have is uh, anecdotal. So if you're a man of science, you're going to have to either open your mind to another perspective or maybe disregard what I say. Either is fine and up to you. Now, I, um, 2016, I was going, I was into Kundalini yoga at the time. Kundalini yoga is a type of yoga that incorporates postures and you chant and uh, there's certain mantras and it's kind of a unique style of yoga. It's pretty trippy. It's kind of crazy, but I had a good teacher. And as a side note, I was told if you ever find a good teacher, no matter what they're teaching, learn it because you can extract all the meaning in the world from anything they're teaching. If you have a really, if you have a really good teacher and I found a good Kundalini teacher and I stuck with them for some time, just a, just some time. Because they, they weren't here, they weren't around me for long. But I showed up for them often. And they gave me, uh, they had written out hundreds of different meditations and what's called kriyas, which are sequences of yoga poses that you do. And in Kundalini, the kriyas are four specific things. So if you want better health, um, overall health, if you want better sexual vitality, if you want to abundance or peace you know they they kind of programmed you to set this intention with these kriyas so 2016 i was working as a a chemist for an environmental consulting company in minnesota and my paycheck was good my cha- my paycheck was really nice and at that time in 2013 i had a friend who told me about bitcoin And shout out to Mike. He's the man. He told me about Bitcoin and I bought into it. I loved what it it was. I loved that there was a limited amount of Bitcoin. So inflation was, it was actually reverse inflation where your, your currency would appreciate over time instead of depreciate like we are in the fiat system. So I loved the idea. I understood the concept and the philosophy behind it. And so what I did was just start taking 10% of every paycheck and putting it into Bitcoin. So I did open up these different channels for money. Now, back to the Kundalini. My teacher sent me a meditation for prosperity, for financial prosperity. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. What do I got to lose? If anything, I'm just doing a little bit of a meditation. It's 25 minutes a day to sit still and to try to manifest some some prosperity. Cool. Now, the trick was, there was like a little trick. You had to do this meditation every day. If you missed a day, you started over. You could either do this meditation for 30 days, for 90 days, or for 120 days. And you had to go every single day. If you start, If you missed a day, you started from day zero. So I did this meditation for prosperity. 20 days into the meditation, 
Bitcoin went from 1,000 to 10,000. Maybe it wasn't that within a month, but it went from like one or 2,000 to tens of thousands of dollars while I did this meditation. And I'd been buying in 10% of every paycheck for a year up to this point. And I'm like, holy shit, is this the meditation? I don't know. I don't know. But the synchronicity, the coincidence of it lining up, it had me thinking, okay, well, maybe I will just keep doing this. I ended up doing this meditation for prosperity for 150 days, 153 days, and then one day I just forgot. And in that time, my money had tripled, at least. It did more than triple at various points of the meditation. And yes, it could be a coincidence. But as I'm opening myself up to these possibilities, the coincidences keep adding up. There's more and more synchronicities around this. This anecdotal evidence that's really hard to replicate in a lab seems to be a decent place to look. For those just joining, we're talking about evidence of meditation doing anything in the physical world. Whether you can cultivate, can you cultivate wealth with meditation? And I'd say not fully. I think anyone that tells you you can pray your way into the, is like kind of selling lottery tickets. But... I think there is a place for these meditations. I think there is a place for getting your mind and your body and your soul, if you wish to subscribe to that, getting yourself right so that you can attract these things into your life. It might just be setting yourself right or setting your energy right so that you can attract certain things into your life. And a few of them have worked for me directly, not, or they have coincided with great part like great prosperity at certain times. Now, I also did three abundance meditations this year and and Bitcoin has coincidentally skyrocketed again. So look, I needed to open my, my channels up to make money. I started a business. I was working for a, a, a reputable company. I was investing. So I had these channels to make money. I put work and effort into these, but I also put work into just sitting still and allowing and cultivating these, this prosperity. So it's going to take both. I think I actually shot a video today, uh, that I'll be, I'll be, um, posting next year, but the video is, um, if you want, no, to get what you want. You have to deserve what you want. Charlie Munger says this. He's kind of a famous investor. The world is not a crazy enough place to reward those who are undeserving. And this is not this is not to say that the world is completely fair. That's not what I'm saying. There is evidence, you know, but it's more fair than you think. It's more fair than it's it's painted to be. It's more fair than it than it seems when you feel slighted. Like if you want to lose 100 pounds, you do the things that deserve for you to lose 100 pounds. If you want a million dollars in the bank, you do the things that make you deserve to have a million dollars in the bank. 
if you if you want to get what you want, deserve what you want. And um, I I like this a lot. If you sow the seed and take care of the land, you will have a harvest. Yes. And this is not to say that all the seeds will grow. Having been gotten a lot into planting myself, I, you know, maybe one third of my seeds cultivate. Um, but yes, if you plant seeds, they'll grow. And I'll tell you what, if you don't plant seeds, any seeds, they won't, they won't grow at all. Michael Jordan says you take, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. There's tons of little quibs about this, but you know, I hope that video kind of inspires you to just start putting energy towards things so that you can cultivate this deservedness of the things that you actually want. Someone just asked me, or just ask the group, really, anyone can respond. Do things happen for a reason or do some things just happen? Um, I feel like putting caveats on, on all these like meta questions. Of course, I don't know. Here's my hot take. I think we live in a, in a dual, in a world of duality, right? Magnets have... Uh, positive and negative poles. Ions have positive and negative charges. Like there's an inside, there's an outside to every inside. Um, we live, there's a, there's male and female, uh, and, and a bunch more, but it comes from a binary system. We live in a world of binaries. And because of this, th- truths tend to be paradoxical especially when put into words. What I find, and this is like a thesis I'm working on, and I've talked about a lot in the podcast, is things at their opposite, I'm sorry, things at their extreme tend to become their opposite. Loyalty at its extreme becomes disloyalty. Selfishness at at its extreme becomes altruism. And vice versa. When you take things far enough, they become their opposite. The reason I'm saying this is because I think if you can hold both in your mind as a possibility for truth, you're closest to the to the truth. Do I think things happen for a reason? Yes. Do I also things that think that things have a sense of randomness and there's chaos? Yes. Both of them I can hold as as a sense of truth. Because it, it, it can also depend on from which angle or which perspective you're able to look at something. Sometimes chaos at one level seems like is order at a higher level. You know, as a, if an illness enters your body, your white blood cells attack it. And they start attacking this and they create battle. Now that's conflict at that level. But it's, it means health for the system of your body. So yes, things are chaotic. Yes, things are ordered. Yes, things happen for a reason. And yes, there is a sense of reasonlessness that exists too. And I think if you can hold both of these as somewhat true, as partial truths to a whole, because together they make a whole truth. Very, I'm glad you asked that question because I, you know, being able to speak about this is helpful for me as well. So thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you for all the questions. Please continue to ask questions. 
Um, I struggle with this so much, the binary situation, how to make a decision on it. Uh, maybe you don't have to make a decision on it. Who's putting the pressure on you to make a decision on that? I disagree that the universe is fair. Look, there is, hey, he, here's one. Here's one that I'll agree with you. I hear what you're saying. I'm a, I'm a 31-year-old man. My whole life, I've spent to fitness, nutrition. I, I've been working out and training since I was 13. I've tried diets and, and all, this, all this stuff. I get cancer at the age of 30. That doesn't that didn't feel fair. It certainly didn't feel fair. I, I felt like I I did breathing techniques, mindfulness. I, I did uh oxygen therapy. I did supplements. I was supplementing. I was eating right. I was avoiding, you know, never eating fast food. I stopped drinking. I did all the things that now. For me to hold on to the fact that it wasn't fair that I got cancer did nothing for me to overcome it. In order to move forward, I had to see how fair it was that even though I had cancer in my lymphatic system, I had a healthy, healthy body. 99% of my body, 90% of my body elsewhere was extremely healthy. I had so much to be thankful for, even though I had so, I had evidence to not be thankful for. And this kind of goes back to the book, Man's Search for Meaning. If you feel like life is out for you, if you feel like there's an unfairness in life, please read this book. It's 150 pages. Maybe I even buy it for you. It's by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish person in Germany. He was a psych- he was like a psychiatrist. He was put into Auschwitz, which is, you know what Auschwitz is. It's a concentration camp. And he, in that book, he outlines how even in the bleakest of circumstances, the bleakest, we've all seen pictures. We all, under, we all, we don't understand, but we all see what these people went through. The millions were murdered. Even in those circumstances, he talks about the choice that he had. He was a prisoner on a work farm where they murdered people. And he talks about the choices he had to be happy, the choices he had for gratitude. He talks about being on a chain gang, being completely obliterated, like not having food for months, and saying thank you to the sunrise as it came up and how that helped him survive and actually later on thrive man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl is the book. So when I hear people say, yes, there's plenty of evidence to suggest the unfairness. Yes. Now what's your focus? Now what's your choice to do with that evidence? I'm getting a little preachy, but I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited because um, that book means something and I'm really glad I read it and um, I've been there. Nihilism 
can support itself. You can find evidence to suggest meaninglessness. You can. But you're not doing yourself any favors and you're not doing any favors for those around you. And and I'm not saying be overly optimistic either. I'm saying if you want to do yourself a favor, if you want to start deserving what you want and therefore having a better chance of getting what you want, it helps to give people the benefit of the doubt. It helps to love again after you get your heart broken. It helps to trust again after someone's betrayed your trust. Someone's recommending the magic of thinking big. And uh, I'll, I'll take that advice into account. And the name of the book is that I've been talking about is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Let's see. Is there any other questions? I think, yeah. So, like, like we can't definitively say everything has a meaning without being overly optimistic, and we and we can't say that nothing has a meaning. You know, both are true that there is chaos and there is order, and it depends on perspective a lot. Um, I think being an over optimist, what what I tell people, and this is like a general rule, but it, it of course it has its pitfalls, is on the macro scale, on the most macro scale, I'm an optimist. For example, I, I have a particular, I have like a, a faith that I've cultivated. Um, evidences, I pray to something. I pray to something bigger. I pray to fucking trees. I pray to the the nature, to mama earth, to the sun. I'll say a few words. You know, I'll throw a few words to a breeze that hit my face. Because there's a consciousness to the world that I buy into at a particular level, that I subscribe to. So on the overall, I'm optimistic. Now at the micro, I tend to be a little pessimistic. And what this does is this allows me to not overburden people with expectations on them. I, I allow people some room in my life by not putting expectations on them. Not, 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 um, I hold them in high regard. Like if I ask for, if I ask my girlfriend to do something, I like I'll expect that if she says yes, if she agrees to it, that she'll follow through. But I also won't reprimand her if she doesn't. And parents, siblings, whatever it is. Because I know that things come up. That's what I mean by pessimism. I don't mean that people are going to let me down, even though people will let you down at various points in your life. And I'm sorry about that. And I've let people down. But on the overall things, I see, sometimes I see when people, I think they let me down, I, they actually, the timing ends up being perfect when and if they follow through or if they don't. So I have this overall faith, but I also don't, without the burden of expectations, over expectations on people. I hope that makes sense. Expect the worst and hope for the best. In a way, I think you're onto something with that. 
but I also don't expect the worst. You know, it's almost like I'll plan for the worst. Like now that I'm, I've grown old, I've grown a little bit. People have let me down. I know that if I send a message to someone and they let me down, I have tools to cope with this. I've prepared to be let down without it being, without it taking anything away from me. But I do have high, I do keep people in high expectation because I think the people tend to fulfill the expectations we also put on them. Maybe expectation is not the perfect word, but I think what I what I do to help build self esteem and to help build people up around me is by letting them know that they can do things and that I actually expect them to do so. And keeping like there's a level of accountability which builds people up. If someone says they're going to do something or show up for me, if they don't, I don't yell at them and scream at them but what i will do is let them know that i saw them not follow through in that way i'm keeping them accountable without the burden of anger so it's a little bit of the how hey noel thanks man good to see you on this platform as well So if you're just joining, uh, this is a live stream podcast. Feel free to ask any questions. Uh, we've talked about a lot so far. And uh, we got about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And just like that, the live stream died. There's no more live stream on the podcast. And that's okay. Because now it's just you and I. <laughs> oh there is a certain energy that comes with these live streams and i find myself getting excited and, and speaking fast and with enthusiasm and enthusiasm feels good to a certain extent but i also like you know taking it down a little bit being a little bit more contemplative I do feel bad for kind of bail. I didn't mean to bail on anyone on the live stream. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. If anyone, to all those who are watching this. This feels good. This feels like a good place to, uh, to kind of stop. Feels kind of like it was meant to be in a way. And I'm, I'm, struggling to find another topic to um to bring to the table that will really tie this all together in a bow um but thank you thank you so much for being here thank you for uh letting me uh speak like that speak with enthusiasm and to reflect and to better know myself and understand myself if you are a fan of the show please leave a review those help those help a lot and i appreciate it greatly uh, until next time, this has been The Good Wind. <laughs>